Good morning. Um, my name is Kaylee Brazier, one of the pastors here. Psych. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Uh, my name is Abel Rivera. For those that don't know me, I am one of the pastors here at the Grove. Um, it is a privilege this morning uh, to be up here to be able to just preach the Word of God um, and see what God has for us on Psalm 67. Uh, this morning we see that, um, not see, but we have heard uh, through the way that we have sung these uh, a few songs that we sung this morning, um, how we are to see our Lord Jesus, how He is good, how He is wonderful, the Savior of our souls. And in Psalm 67, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, let's go ahead and read that before we dive into it. This is for the choir director with a string instrument, a psalm, a song is what it says. So verse 1 reads this way on Psalm 67. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Salah. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the people with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Salah. Let the people praise you. God, let all the people praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Amen. So one of the things that we see in Psalm 67, is the psalmist actually is giving us a glimpse of, of what was known as a priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6. Now you may say, well, how did he get to write these two verses? Especially about, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And the thing is that it wasn't that the psalmist figured this out or that he thought, oh, hey, I got something good to write about God and about how graceful he is to us, that his mercy is upon us. But this is something that God himself told Moses to tell Aaron and his sons to say over Israel. It is a blessing that God has given to his people. This is a promise that is declared over Israel at that time that God will protect them and be with them. As we see that Israel, right, in, in the Exodus, we see that they're out of Egypt and out of slavery. They're going to the promised land. And they're going through a lot of things um, in their lives as they're walking through uh, the wilderness. And at one point, God says, you are my people, and I want to let you know that you are my people, and that I am your God. And the way that I'm going to say this is by doing a benediction over you, a blessing over you. So not only was he present with them in a special relationship, and we see that with Israel in the Old Testament, but he also promised to protect and guard Israel. So in this way, Israel was greatly blessed by having the Lord, the Creator, as their God. If we turn real quickly to uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, it says, uh, to 27, it says this. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And you should say to them. And you can see that clearly that it's God who's saying this. It is not something that was made up by any man or by any prophet. It says, 24, it says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. 
May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. And then verse 27 says, In this way they will pronounce my name over the Israelites, and I will bless them. And we can see how God has blessed Israel throughout, the, throughout this time. We see that even though Israel was a nation that was not perfect at all, that God was with them and blessing them throughout the ways. Now, in a similar way, Christians here today are blessed by knowing the Lord that is close and intimate in our lives. Although the church is distinct from Israel, and we can see that through Scripture, Christians do have a special relationship with the Lord and can comfort it can be comforted, I'm sorry, in the words of a priestly blessing. And that's what we're going to see here in Psalm 67. So this morning, we can either focus, right, on what, if um, any of you have read uh, Psalm 67 uh, throughout the week, we can fo focus on how blessed we are by singing the song, right? This is a song to be sung in the congregation. And also, it invites others, right, to sing along this particular song. And we can focus ourselves in to say, you know, this is how God has blessed us. This, we are feeling so blessed. He has given us salvation. He has given us so many good things in our lives. I mean, I can go ahead and grab the guitar if you like. You know, uh, and I know some of you are looking like, does he really play the guitar? Well, just a little. Um, but one of the things that I cannot do very well is sing. And I can tell you that right now. So I would not lead you in this song. And, I would not grab the guitar, but anyways. But yeah, I'm one of the ones that um, will sound more like Jerry Lewis, not like uh, D. Martin. And for those of you that are like, who is Jerry Lewis? <laughs> okay, maybe like Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. Maybe like him. And of course, some of you are like, I still don't get it. Well, you know, I think it's that bird from Little Mermaid. Was it called Scuttles or something like that? That, that will be me trying to lead you in worship. So today, I will not lead you in worship. It will be a short sermon, by all means. But if we look at this short psalm, this song, I may add, which has a rich and powerful truth about God's salvation, His righteousness, and His goodness. That's what I see in the psalm. The powerful truth about God's salvation, righteousness, and His goodness. It's a demonstration of God's people focusing on how God has blessed and is blessing his people and is blessing them, but also to invite others, their surrounding neighbors, their surrounding nations, to come along and sing with them. See, Israel in the psalm is singing not only they will be blessed, and they are blessed, but that God also focuses his blessing on the other nations, on the Gentiles. So if we are to put a tune to this particular psalms, and yes, we are to grab a guitar and the drums or whatever, and actually sing this song, we'll sing it. But the question where it still remains and will certainly be that whoever will hear this song will ask, what does it mean? What are you trying to tell us within this song? What is your message? Many will understand the words that are being sung, but I'm wondering if they understand the meaning of the song. So here's the thing, you know, music has a way of connecting people. We see that if you go to the history of music, it has a way of connecting people and their values based on shared experience. We see that in the 70s, uh, and for you that don't know, I was born in the 1970s, all right? My 
early years of, uh, not adulthood, but uh, being a young man was in the 80s. And I have six sisters that are a lot older than I am. So I did listen to a lot of what they were listening to back in the early 80s. And what I can remember, right, it was all about either a political song, about, you know, political power and bring down the government, or it was about against war, was about peace, right, was about love. And I remember some of those songs. I actually remember one of the songs as I was thinking about this, about the Cherokee people, you know, the Cherokee nation, and some kind of a song in that sense. There's a message that people were trying to say through their music. And there's many of us that listen to different songs in our lives, right? And, and some of us like to listen to country music and, or rock or uh, even the blues. And this is something that I've seen throughout my uh, years of working with other folks and uh, even my coworkers, friends, you might add, where I will ask them like, hey, how is your life going? And their response sometimes will be, my life is like a bad country song. And you can kind of get that like, oh yeah, hmm. Some of them will say, I'm singing the blues. And you're like, okay, well, your wife must have left you. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. You know, and there's some that will say, you know, I'm rocking today. I am rocking. You, you know what kind of music they're listening to. Because it identifies in how they feel and how they see, uh, what, you know, how their life is going and how they think about um, life itself. Simon um, Frith, um, in 1987, he wrote an article about popular music. And I got this quote from him. Uh, it says that music is a symbol of connecting people and their values based on shared experiences. It is an important component of society as, is as, a, as a means, I'm sorry, by which certain groups of people define themselves and their relationship to the rest of the world. So in other words, they are making known through their music, through what they're singing, what they believe, what they are living for. So while the world at large may use music in their search for meanings, for expression, or simply pleasures and distraction, the Bible reveals a much deeper and powerful purpose on what needs to be communicated from Scripture, be it through preaching, through teaching, or through even through our songs, our music. So Psalm 67 has an important message this morning. That through this psalm, the Lord God desired to use your life, to use my life, to reach the world for His glory. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says it this way, that, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession. And get this, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, this is what we need to be communicating to the world. Not through just preaching and teaching, but also through our songs, through our lives. So this morning, we, we are to look at three points in the psalm. Because God has blessed us, and here are the three points. We are to make known His salvations to the nations. We'll see that in verse 1 and 2. Because God has blessed us, we are to make known His righteousness to the nations. That will be on verse 4. And because God has blessed us, we are to make known His goodness to the nations. And that will be at verses 6 and 7. 
So we jump right in into the first point, and we'll go to verses 1 and 2 where it says that may God be gracious to us and bless us. May He make His face shine upon us, Salah, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. And we see three things right on the verse 1 on this chapter. May God be gracious, the first thing. May God be gracious. See, the psalmist, he first knew that he needed God's mercy in his life. This should set our hearts and our minds in the right, uh, in the, in the right frame of mind, in the right set of mind, and that we are to think that we are sinners. We are to know that. We, we can't just come and say, okay, we are, we are forgiven and we don't need God's grace anymore. We are to know that we are sinners that will continuously need God's grace. Amen. One may need more grace than others. That is true. But we all need it regardless. You see, God's grace is an essential component to our everyday life and the foundation of the Christian faith. We need God's grace to sustain us every day. You have to believe that as followers of Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says it this way, that therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that, and I love that, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. It is so clear throughout Scripture that we are to need God's grace in our lives. Every day is renewed. But we are to seek it. But He doesn't stop there. He also says, and bless us. And so this goes beyond the mercy and the grace that God is giving us, which, by the way, He can just say, you know what? I am going to be gracious over you. I am going to have mercy on you. And nothing else. He'll just leave us alone. He won't destroy us. But when we look at the priestly prayer that he's referring to to this, it is indicating that God is not just merciful on us, that he's showing his grace upon our life. He wants to bless us as well. And not just that, he wants us to ask him to bless us. Who doesn't want the blessing of the Lord in their lives? That we are to think and say, Lord, be merciful. Do not give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. Have grace upon my life. But also bless me. And God said, yes, I will bless you because I said that I will bless you. So the boldness that we have before, to come before the throne of God, it is not just being said in Hebrews chapter 4 to just say it. It is a fact my brothers and sisters. It is a fact for us as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we're able to go before the Lord and ask for His blessings. God's love towards us is that great. And the third thing we see on this first um, verse is that it says that may He make His face shine upon us. This is part of that priestly prayer. And to shine literally means in this verse is that the breaking of a new day, He is illuminated in our lives. He shines on us with favor. God is shining on us. Everyone that is His child, He is shining on us with favor. His chosen people. 
So to have the glorious and happy face of God shining upon us, it is the greatest gift that we can have. To know that as God looks upon you, all right, He is well pleased. How many of you would like to feel that God is well pleased with us? Not because of who you are or what you have done, but because you are in Jesus Christ. You are covered by His blood. You see, there is no greater source of peace and power in life than to be in the sight of God and to have His favor. And I'll say that again. Because there is no greater source of peace and power in life than to be in the sight of God and have His favor. So let us pause here for just a minute. Think about the greatness of God's grace. Think about the greatness of God's blessing upon our lives. The approval of God's shining face upon our lives. What are we to do with this? Do we actually deserve this? Why does He do that for us? And verse 2 actually answers the question. Verse 2 on chapter 67 says that, So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So this morning I would like to encourage each and every one of you, anyone that is a follower of Christ, to share the way that He has saved you. The way that He has taken you of darkness. See, I remember that in my life. I don't deserve His mercy. I don't deserve His grace. And we are to remember, but not just remember, but to share with others. That is the biggest testimony that we can have. To share the great news of our salvation. Why keep it to ourselves? Why sing it to ourselves? It is something to proclaim, not just to ourselves, but to the nations. That is what the psalmist is saying. It is not just for us. It is for everyone that is to hear this great news of salvation. T. Spurgeon says it this way, Look up to heaven and ask yourself how sinners can ever reach those harps of gold and learn their everlasting song unless they have someone to tell them of Jesus who is mighty to save. So tell them how blessed you are. Tell them that while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Let them know that God proves His own love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let them know. Proclaim that. Let them know your testimony. And it is not just that He has made a way for us to come to Him, but also that there is an assurance of this of His offering of salvation. There's an assurance in the Christian life. Share the way that He keeps you. The way that you are assured by God Himself that you are saved, that your salvation is not temporary. See, the assurance of salvation is guaranteed in the life of a Christian. You see, once a person has put their face in Christ and have repented of their sin, they have turned away from what it is evil. Once that happens, they will enter into a relationship with God. 
that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit and are guaranteed, guaranteed that their sins are fully forgiven. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says it this way, that in Him you also were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth. You hear that? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. And the only way that the nations around us, the people that don't know, will be able to be saved is that they, we have to proclaim, we have to sing, we have to sing our songs of salvation so they can believe and be saved as well. This promise also in Isaiah 43, 25 about our sins. God says that I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and I remember your sins no more. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to tell somebody else about how good God is. Even Jesus himself in John chapter 10 says that he assured those who believe in him that I will give them eternal life and they should never perish. No one can snatch them out of, my, out of my father's hands or out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. See, eternal life is just that. It is eternal. There is no one, not even yourself, who can take Christ's God-given gift of salvation away from all who have put their faith in Christ. So make his salvation known. Make it known to your neighbors. Make it known to the people that you claim that you love. That's one of the things that hit me the most, especially last week. As I see somebody that I love so much, and all of a sudden it hit me like, how many times has I invited that person to church? How many times have I taken the time to share the gospel with that person? And it hit me hard. Because I say to that person, hey, I love you. I care about you. But yet, I do not plead with that person to come into the fold of God. You see, our response to this truth about how God has saved us should be this, and which is on verse number three. So let all the people praise you. God, let all the people praise you. So it wasn't enough for the psalmist to say, let the people praise you, right? Let us, but let all the people. He just took it a little bit deeper on this. He said, let all the people praise you. We are to proclaim to all that God's wonderful work of salvation in our lives. So let all people likewise praise Him as well. Psalms 105, which read this morning, 1 through 5, says that, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Proclaim His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell about all His wonder, wondrous works. Boast in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And we do that every Sunday. We come out. I can hear the joy of the people just singing to the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for having me here. Thank you for saving my life. And I can hear that. But we don't want what we are making known about His salvation to stop with the nations just knowing about His salvation. We don't just want that. That they just know. 
What we want is that all people to praise Him because they are as well being saved and added to the fold. That is our purpose to sing these songs. That is our purpose to preach. That is our purpose to teach about God's goodness. And that brings us to the second point. That we are to make known His righteousness to the nations. That is verses 4. He said, let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the people with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Salah. Interesting about that word Salah, I, I actually looked it up and see what uh, some of the scholars were saying. And uh, some of them came with the conclusion that that was a word used to just kind of stop. Just meditate on what was just said. So I did. And a question came out and it says, why should the nations rejoice and shout for joy? Why? And one of the things that came to mind is because God is coming to judge the people righteously and govern the nations of the earth. So in other words, Jesus is coming back. And this should make us even more excited, brothers and sisters. This should make us more excited that He is coming there about to bring, to bring the nations together to worship Him in the end times when He is here. But also this should bring us some excitement to bring the nations today to God's way, to God's salvation, and to God's praise. Because the reality is that God has set a day that He is coming back. And He will judge and he will judge this world in righteousness. And he will judge him through a man. Like Acts 17.31 says, By the man that he has appointed, that he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the book of Revelations that he is coming on a white horse. He is coming to judge the world. And we see through scripture that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. That is a reality. That is that he himself is right, just, and true. You see, righteousness is essential to God's very being and characterizes all he does. In other words, God is morally and ethically right. He acts only in keeping with what is right and just. And I want to say this in love. I, I, I wrote this down and and I said, I don't know if I should, but I, I will this morning. Because it spoke to my life. See, God forbid that knowing that Jesus is coming back, we have this knowledge and we have this hope and we're like just waiting with, with just, just saying, Lord, just come. I mean, we, we see the troubles in our lives and we're like, Lord, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. Just come. I want to feel your goodness. I want to feel that I'm next to you, that you will wipe my tears away. I don't feel this pain, and we, we tend to do that. But God forbid that knowing this truth about that Jesus is coming should make us less passionate about evangelism or even missions, reaching out and talking to others. That we get into a, like a box in our own lives and say, okay, well, I'm just, I feel, Lord, that, that you're coming soon. I know that you're coming soon. I believe that you're coming soon. And we lose that passion to tell others about that about the good news of that salvation. I think there's times where 
we need to be passionate about what we believe. And there's times that we will take God's word and we'll read it and we'll gloss over certain things, but we'll just bring to light things that we want to hear in our lives. Or, and I brought Exodus 34, 7, you know, for somebody that is reading this and saying, oh Lord, you know, thank you for saving my life. They'll read this and they'll say, uh, verse 34, 7 says, maintain that God is maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And we will read that and go, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord, because you are not, you have forgiven my sins. You have forgiven me of my rebellion and sin. And then we'll even go to Psalms 105, like we read this morning. And part of this is that He is the Lord our God. His judgment governs the whole world. He remembers His covenant forever, the promise He ordained for thousand generations, the covenant He made with Abraham. And we know that the covenant He made with Abraham, that He will bless many nations, that through Him, the Messiah will come, that the Savior of this world will be. And we're like, Amen. This is great. And we'll gloss over the last part of that verse. So I'll read Exodus 34, 7 again. And it says that God maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, iniquity, I'm sorry, rebellion and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Hebrews chapter 9 says it this way that, and just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment. See, we, we know, as followers of Christ, we know that and who we have put our hope in. And I, and I do pray that it's Jesus. But there are many who do not. There are many that are going to be judged because they're guilty before a holy God, a just God, a righteous God. So, and I quote this, it is one thing to know that God is sovereign and, to rule, and so rules the world by His own will. But it's something more to know that He rules in righteousness. See, for all the apparent inequities of life, for all the patience He shows the wicked, and for all the afflictions that falls upon the righteous, it is necessary that we make known that God is just that he will always do what is right. It's because he is consistent with himself. We are to let all know that he will not condemn the innocent, which is great, but also he will not clear the guilty. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, that there is no injustice in the grace of God. God is as just when he forgives a believer as when he casts sinners into hell. Verse 5 says, Let the people praise you, God. Let all the people praise you. Something to think about on the righteousness of God. We are to let them know that he will judge rightly. This brings us to our third point this morning. That we are to make known his goodness to the nations. Verse 6 says that the earth has produced its harvest. God our God blesses us. God will bless us 
and all the ends of the earth will fear him. And just looking at this verse, uh, a lot of the commentators and has um, put that this is uh, alluding to God's goodness on earth, you know, how he has provided um, the harvest, um, how God is good, and when they have, he has given the rain and the sun and so forth. And we see this in Genesis. And, and the, the psalmist is really uh, just bringing together uh, about how God is so good in the things that sometimes we don't even think about. The air that we breathe, we don't really think about it. It's like almost like second nature. We just don't think about it. We just breathe. God's goodness is all around us. Genesis 1.31 says that God saw all that he had made. And it was good. And we see that since the beginning of time. So the goodness of God is evident in all his creation. It really is in everything that he has accomplished. But that's one thing that it is true. And scripture makes it very clear. That we cannot earn his goodness. We cannot even merit his goodness. I say that it is available to us. Regardless of our status of life. Even though we, we don't even deserve his goodness. Yet he gives it to us freely. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 45 says that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Sometimes we, we walk in this life and we're like, God, how can this be fair? These people that don't serve you, these people that are not seeking you, these people that are just pretty much turning their backs on you and yet they are Receiving the same thing, I'm receiving the goodness of this land, of this earth. And we read uh, Psalms 145 and 9 that also says that the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. And we read these things and we're like, thank you Lord. Because what we tend to forget is what we didn't grow up. We, didn't, we were not just born into Christianity. We were not just born into following Christ all of a sudden. I know some of us uh, were born in a Christian home. Amen. But there was still a profession of faith that you had to have made at a point in your life. So you, even though you felt the goodness of being in a Christian home, because I was part of that life, for some of you that don't know my testimony, uh, at the age of three, my mom gave her life to Christ in Puerto Rico. And let me tell you something. We come here on a Sunday, and there's some of us that are like, oh, Sunday again from 10 to 12. Yeah, here we go, two hours of my time. Well, let me tell you how I grew up. I grew up going to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday twice. Twice. All right, it was Sunday morning, you know, uh, Bible study, which we call Sunday school, and then the night service. And then we moved. It was great. <laughs> I was still young. And then uh, the Lord blessed my life with having my dad come to, into Christianity as well. And having my dad plant a church about an hour away from where we live in Chicago. And he pastored that church for about 10 years. 
So, yeah, I didn't go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, seven days of the week, but we were going Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. And Sunday was from 6 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. An hour away from home, me filling my thumbs after Sunday school, trying to figure out what am I going to do as a 12-year-old? Well, at that time, 8 through 18. And we see these things. And we look the goodness of God, right, within the circumstances of our life. We see that. But the purpose of God's goodness in our life is to draw us to Him. To show that all things are created by Him. That He has provided for all of us. He has provided the sun, the water, the air that we breathe. The thing is that he has created, it was all created by him, but for our benefit. But we cannot stop there. If we just stop there and say, oh yeah, yeah, God is good. He has provided for us. Amen. But we cannot stop there. See, his goodness was manifested in the highest degree when God sacrificed His Son, Jesus, for our salvation. Because of His goodness, we have been given the opportunity to hear His Word and to proclaim eternal life by accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. See, God gets the respect. God gets the honor. See, that's why right in the end of the psalm it says that all will fear Him. That word fear is actually all will honor Him. All nations will honor Him. He gets all the honor. He gets all the praise. He gets all the glory because He is worthy of it. You see, the goodness of God is the core of our Christian faith. And I will say this again. It is because of His desire for our good that He provided salvation through His Son. So our goal and my goal to this morning is hopefully that you have heard this. That we should desire to make known His salvation. That we would desire to make known His righteousness. And that we would desire to make known His goodness to all people, to all nations, out of these four walls, to our neighbors, to our friends, and to whomever God has put in our path. That we will make Him known that He is our Lord and our King. So let the people praise you, God. Let all the people praise you. Let us pray.